Galatians chapter 3. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The spirit foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in his goodness and out of love and with great pleasure and creativity, the Lord God spoke the creation into being. On the third day of creation, after separating the land from the waters and the earth, the Lord God said, Genesis 1 verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so, what fun the Lord must have had at the time of creation. It pleased the Creator so much that he reveled in it. It was a delight to him. And why not? It is an amazing creation. When we think of trees alone, according to the comprehensive study of the world's plants, the BBC reported that there are 60,065 species of trees in the world. Can you imagine? over 60,000 species of trees. And then in terms of how many trees there are in the world, I don't quite know how they go about getting all these numbers, but it's estimated that there are over 3 trillion trees on the planet today. Enough so that there's 420-some trees per human being that lives. I don't know how they come up with those figures, but I'll take it. And I take it that there used to be a whole lot more trees before human populations were around and we did a lot of clear-cutting. 
And then more stuff about trees, because it's really cool. Those in the know tell us that trees are vital to this planet and to our lives. As the biggest plants on the planet, they give us oxygen, they store carbon, they stabilize the soil, they give life to the world's wildlife. They provide us with materials for tools and shelters. Uh, and shelter. The canopies of trees act as a physical filter, trapping dust and absorbing pollutants from the air. Each individual tree apparently removes up to 1.7 kilos every year. They provide shade from solar radiation and reduce noise. They reduce wind speed, speeds and cool the air as they lose moisture and reflect heatward, heat upwards from their leaves. It's estimated that trees can reduce the temperature in the city of all things by 7 degrees Celsius. We need to build, we need to plant trees. Please also help flooding and soil erosion, absorbing thousands of liters of storm water. Trees are amazing. Another amazing fact about trees has to do with their lifespan. The average age of trees depends on its species. If a tree has enough water, food, and sunshine throughout its life, then it can live to the end of its natural lifespan. Some of the shorter-lived trees include palms that live around 50 years. The persimmon has an average lifespan of 60 years. The black willow can probably survive for around 75 years. On the other hand, get this, the Alaska red cedar can live up to 3,500 years. Giant sequoias can last over 3,000 years. And at least one briscone pine is estimated to be almost 5,000 years years old. That's all from a book called Gardening Know-How. What's the lifespan of a tree? I didn't come up with this. This is quite something. Can you imagine the stories that a 1,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 year old tree can tell? Amazing stories, I'm sure. Trees, what a gift they are. How wonderful they are. Some of you may have had fun with trees sitting in their shade or climbing them or building a tree house or whatever. And when you're on vacation this summer or even as you're in your yards or around the city or, or country, pay attention to trees this year. Note the different kinds and give thanks to the Creator for the wonders of His creation. Send a picture of your favorite tree to hashtag CCRC trees and share it with us through social media. How's that for a plug? But don't only pay attention to the physical trees around you. Consider them also as you're involved in your devotions. Consider them as you open the Bible. As you're reading God's Word, pay attention to the trees in the Bible and to references to trees. There are literally hundreds, if not, as one author suggested, thousands of references to trees in the Bible. And we thought it kind of fun to draw attention to the biblical references to trees and to biblical stories in which trees or a particular tree play a significant role. And this is fun to consider because it helps us place the Bible where it ought to be. The Bible story is a story rooted in the reality of creation, a creation that will one day be renewed and 
what a day that will be. And if we like trees now, think of the trillions of trees that will populate the new earth. And so think of an eternity in the presence of the Lord among trees, physical, real trees, and lots of other wonders of creation. On the walls on either side of the platform, as referred to by Pastor Amanda in the children's message, are depictions of the trees at the beginning and at the end of the Bible, as it were. These two images are brackets, if you will, around the story of creation and around the story of all things made new. But right smack dab in the middle of the story of history, we find, as it were, the cross. In the middle of the story is the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. In the middle of the story, so wonderfully demonstrated here this morning, stands the communion table where we remember what Christ has done for us through the giving of his body and blood for our sins. And so think of these three images, if you would, as the story of creation, fall, and redemption. Now trees can invoke images of great wonder and joy but they can also invoke images of deep pain and suffering. As for invoking great images of great wonder and joy, think of the beauty of the cherry blossom or the magnolia or tulip tree as it's known. They're spectacular and objects of many a picture. I remember from Chilliwack, we had a whole row of cherry blossom trees down one of the streets and then you look past the cherry blossom trees and there was the grandeur of the snow on the mountains on Mount Chem. And it was gorgeous. God must delight in that creation. Think of the great oaks and the wonderful maple trees of our countryside or the giant redwoods of the, west, of the West Coast. I remember when I was a kid that our family, when we went to the West, with eight of us, we stood, held hands, and tried to go around one of the great, large red, uh, what do they call them? The, the, the redwoods. We barely made it with eight of us just holding hands we were a lot smaller at that time but holding hands all the way around the tree trees are wonderful to look at to climb to swing under to picnic in the shade under and to build a fort in and so forth but as mentioned trees can also invoke deep pain and suffering and so i think for example of the images during times of racial tension of people being hanged from a tree by a lynch mob who took justice into their own hands. I think of those who have been tied to a tree and beaten or executed there. I think of those who have had to suffer through a tree falling on their house or on them, causing great damage or injury. I think of the damage done by clear cutting or by the ash borer or the pine beetle. Trees are a wonderful part of God's creation and therefore, therefore to be enjoyed and celebrated, but they're also part of the fallen creation. And they've been misused by people and damaged in many ways and thereby brought pain and suffering to countless others. As we consider trees, 
then, consider with me that in the middle of the story of God's relationship with his people stands a tree, a gruesome tree. Not a planted tree with roots and branches and all, but a couple of pieces of wood placed in the form of a cross put in the ground by the Roman executioners. It was a tree that probably had the same shape that, as the tree behind me, as the cross behind me, but it looked quite different, I'm sure, what's so nicely hanging here in this sanctuary. The tree that I'm talking about is a tree that was a scene of great suffering and pain. It's a tree that spoke of rejection. It's a tree that spoke of hell. But it's also a tree that told the story of redemption. But before we take a look at that tree, and before we put it in the context of Galatians 3, we have to go back to the fifth book of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, or the book in which we find the second reading of the law of God or the Ten Commandments, chapter 21. We have to go back to that particular book because Galatians 3.13 quotes Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. And there we read these words, and they're not pleasant words to hear, but we read these words. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death, and their body is exposed on a pole or a tree, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole or tree overnight. Be sure to bury it in that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole or a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That's the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy 21. So what's that all about? Well, it was practiced in ancient countries as a method of sending a message to the broader population that this is what's going to happen to you if you disobey the law of the land. As punishment for your offense, you're going to be put to death. And then your body is going to be shamefully hung on a tree or from a tree for all to see so that they get the point. They shouldn't be doing what you're doing. So such a display of a dead body was used as a deterrent to crime. Now Israel of old and many of the ancient cultures did not have hanging as a method of execution, but they would hang bodies after the death had already occurred. And there's a number of, old, of examples throughout the Old Testament, such as in Joshua 8 and 10, where we see the bodies of various kings, like the king of Ai was hung on a tree for all to see. King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle by the Philistines, and their bodies were hung for all to see. And usually these bodies were hung in pretty prominent places. And the message was, this is what happens to those who go contrary to the law, to those who go contrary to the king. This is what happens to enemies of the land. They're put to shame for all to see. Now here in Deuteronomy 21, we should note that the Lord doesn't introduce the practice of hanging bodies on trees for some sort of capital crime to Israel as something new. 
But the Lord here puts some limits on it by saying that the body must be removed by sunset so that it can be properly buried. If the body were to remain hanging on the tree, the concern was that it would pollute the land for a variety of reasons, some too gruesome to mention here. But it would pollute the land, a land owned by the Lord God himself. The land that had been set apart as holy for God's people, a land that might, may not be polluted in any other way, a land that may not be polluted by sinners. But that's for another sermon. Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Really what's hanging on a tree pointed to, and if you, if you can picture it, Really what hanging on a tree pointed to was that the person did such horrible things that now they were at a point where they were no longer wanted by heaven or by earth. Hanging on a tree physically put you between both places because of a crime. Nobody wants you. You're cursed. You're condemned. You're cut off from the land of the living. It's horrible. And the reason the Old Testament law talked this way shows how seriously the Lord took his relationship with his people. For a member of God's covenant people to go ahead and kill someone else or to go ahead and break some other law as outlined in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or in the Torah was in effect to curse God, the author of the law. You see, for someone to ignore the law or to willfully break the law was in effect to live as if the Lord didn't really exist. It was living according to their own will and way and betrayed an attitude of, I don't need the Lord. Or perhaps even worse, I don't accept that God is the covenant God of Israel. I don't even accept that he's for real. And all the rest. God is a jealous God. The death penalty and then the subsequent hanging on a tree were signs and symbols of an imposed separation not only from the Lord of the covenant but also from his covenant people because breaking the law meant you had no concern and you didn't respect or consider them at all. Now, that's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote the letter to the Galatians and talked about the law and being cursed and so forth. There were certain challenges being faced by the Galatian church and even from within the Galatian church, and those challenges came from people known as Judaizers, the people who were heavy into making sure that the Old Testament laws were being kept. They stated, in fact, that really no one can become a Christian unless they become a Jew first. Jews in the full sense of the word. So circumcision and all sorts of other old laws were enforced upon the Gentiles who came to know Christ. And their basic message was one that was that one was saved, one was redeemed by obedience to the law. Follow the rules. Do this. Do that. Don't do this. And when you do that, then you're part of the kingdom. 
But that sort of challenge, that sort of thinking was challenged by Paul big time. The Apostle Paul is almost beside himself in righteous anger throughout this letter, saying such things as, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Or chapter 4, verse 20, I am perplexed about you. Or chapter 5, verse 1, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And then he really goes to town in chapter 5, verse 12, and he says, as for those agitators, those Judaizers, those people who want you to follow the law and every step of the law all along the way, because that's where you're going to be saved, as for them... I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Paul has no use and no time for those who say that you are saved by keeping the law. He writes, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, as he writes elsewhere, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all deserve to be cut off from God's people and from God himself. All deserve to be hanging from trees in their shame and because of their guilt. Salvation does not come from observing the law. No one can observe the law fully. Actually, the point of the law is to show how far we have fallen from God himself. No one can be redeemed by keeping the law, but one is redeemed by faith in Christ Jesus, who became the curse for us. The testimony of Galatians 3.13 is this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, hang, who is hung on a tree. Dying by execution. And then having your body hung on a tree was terrible enough and spoke of being cursed. And the gospel message is that one who had no sin, get this, one who had no sin wasn't executed by others and then his body hung on a tree but one who had no sin willingly climbed up on the cross, willingly died there for the likes of you and me, willingly hung there, suspended between heaven and earth, not wanted as it were by either. One writer put it this way, quote, Crucifixion is without question the most humiliating and degrading form of public death ever devised. First of all, it was a very slow, agonizing death. Often it would last for a few days as the victim died more from suffocation than from bleeding. Furthermore, hanging naked in public along some well-traveled road added immensely to the sense of shame. Fully exposed like a carcass hanging on a rack, the victim experienced long hours of pain and an interminable time of humiliation. Crucifixion was not only ugly, it was inhuman, unquote. 
threw out that slow, interminable death. Jesus was aware of the curse, the anger of God, the righteous anger of God against the sin of the world, the shame of the sin. And throughout that interminable time, he was aware of not being wanted by either earth or heaven. It wrung from him the cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not only was he executed like a common criminal, but that same day, before it was sunset, his body was taken of the cross, lest he pollute the land like a common criminal, a la Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. But there was purpose into it all. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He did that for his people. He did that so that his people, so that we would not have to experience the curse. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works, lest anyone should boast. That's astonishing. We don't deserve it. We deserve to be executed and hung on a tree in full shame. But Jesus did it for us. It speaks of amazing love and amazing grace. What a Savior. This is an amazing message, a wonderful message, a liberating message. At the center of history stands a tree. We don't know what kind of wood it was made of in spite of what some legends may say, like dogwood and all kinds of things. And on that tree, that gruesome tree, we see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me and for you and for all of his people. He willingly, out of love and compassion, took the curse that was ours and made it his and paid the price. That's what we remember at the table. And it was all for a purpose. And that, actually, we should spend another sermon on that in, in verse 14. It was all for a purpose, namely that blessing can grow, can grow, flow from us to others. Blessings can grow from us, flow from us to others. We should be hung on that tree between heaven and earth, cursed, shamed. But Jesus Christ, Christ took our place and he redeemed us, says verse 14, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The promises continue from generation to generation and all of his children are safe in the arms of Jesus knowing that he has fully satisfied the Father for our rebellion 
and for our sin. This morning we are reminded as we consider the trees, we are, re we are reminded of the tree at the center of the history of God's people. And all of this we are reminded of as we come to the table of the Lord and participate in the sacrament of Lord's Supper. Jesus gave his life for his people. Come, eat, drink, remember and believe that Jesus gave his life for us, became the curse for us, so that we never need to be hung on a tree. To God be the glory. Amen. Father in heaven, what an incredible gospel. If we think about, if we think about it, it, it brings tears to our eyes. It makes us want to sing and shout with joy. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your goodness, for your obedience, for your willingness to go all the way to the cross to hang there and to become the curse for us. Father, how marvelous are trees and how marvelous this one gruesome tree. We praise you for the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.